0: My oldest was not an independent player when we transitioned from napping to quiet time. She didn't even like being in a room by herself. So when the time came, I put on my former elementary teacher hat to figure out how we were going to make this quiet time thing happen. Hey there, I'm Lauren Angler, your fellow mom friend and pediatric sleep consultant of Via Graces. This is a place where you'll learn all the sleep tips and tricks so you feel equipped to navigate the ups and downs of your little one's sleep. You'll also get an inside look at our family's life as I share the real joys and tougher moments of parenting. So, whether you're nap trapped, driving to daycare pickup, or you're enjoying a solo evening walk, my goal is for this podcast to be another reminder that when it comes to most things in parenting, All it takes is a plan and a whole lot of grace. I'm so glad you're here. In last week's episode, we chatted through the when and the how and the why of dropping your toddler's afternoon nap. And today we're chatting about what often comes next, which is quiet time. The day we dropped my oldest daughter's nap, we replaced it with a quiet time. She still needed some kind of midday rest time, and my husband and I certainly needed some midday rest time too. Although it certainly takes time, teaching, and practice, your little one is so capable of having a consistent afternoon quiet time, and I would love to teach you how. So on today's episode, I'm going to share what quiet time is and why it is so helpful when your child no longer naps, how to teach your child to have a quiet time, and some of our favorite quiet time toys and activities. So first, what is quiet time? First, I'm actually going to say what quiet time is not. Quiet time is not sleep time, so I do not recommend quiet time be your toddler sitting in their bed with books and quiet toys. This is for a few reasons. One, we want their bed to be a place for sleep, not play. Two, they might accidentally fall asleep, which then defeats the purpose of quiet time, especially if it replaced their nap time and their nap time was causing bedtime challenges. And three, asking your child to stay in one spot reading to themselves for an extended period of time just doesn't feel realistic, so it's like setting yourself up for an even greater challenge. I also want to note that in our house, quiet time doesn't need to be quiet. It generally is because our girls are playing on their own, but the quiet piece we're looking for isn't noise level, it's not engaging with each other or us. So if they're banging a xylophone or singing a song or Legos are clanking together, no worries. When I say quiet time, I'm talking about a midday time when kids are doing something on their own. That's not sleep and parents are doing something else. There's not really interaction going on, so it's a rest time for all. For some families, quiet time just means independent playtime, while for other families, it might just be screen time. In our house, quiet time looks like our girls playing on their own for 45 to 60 minutes, and it's followed by a 30-ish minute screen time. As a stay-at-home mom, but also work-from-home mom, this is often when I get some work done. Maybe checking emails or creating content, having a check-in call. Sometimes I clean, work out, read, or just breathe. In different seasons of life and parenthood, what quiet time actually looks like will be different for your family. When our oldest Olivia started quiet time, Avery was still sleeping in our room. So quiet time was in Olivia's room while Avery napped in our room and mama had the main living space to work and breathe. I'll get to the how of actually making it happen, but the boundary of quiet time happens in your bedroom was really helpful when we first started off. The girls eventually started room sharing and quiet time happened while Avery was napping. So at first we tried having Olivia do quiet time in our bedroom for the sake of that clear physical boundary, but we quickly realized we did not want her toys all over our room and she kept wanting toys from the living room. So it just wasn't ideal. So then we actually let her have quiet time out in the main living area. And because the boundary of quiet time is you time, not we time, it was already established. She did great with it. Now fast forward to when Avery was ready to drop her nap and transition to quiet time. Similar to teaching Olivia, I wanted Avery to start by learning quiet time in the girl's bedroom because walls and the door mark a very clear boundary of where she's supposed to be. The girls didn't have a lot of toys in their room at the time, so at the start of quiet time, we'd have Avery pick some extra things to take in there with her, and it worked out well. But eventually, Olivia wanted to play in there, or Avery wanted to play in the living room, and the lines were getting blurry. We still wanted them in separate places from each other, so we started switching every other day. Avery in their room today and Olivia in the living room, then swap the next day. I should also add that we were in a two-bedroom apartment, so there was no separate play area or anything. Then we moved into our current townhouse. The girls continue to room share and now have more toys in their room, and our play area is still connected to our main living space. But now quiet time is kind of a free-for-all. They know they're playing by themselves rather than together, which is much easier for one than the other but they can essentially float wherever they'd like to go. We just don't let them both play in their room at the same time as it's small. So they'd inevitably play together and then probably argue and then no one is actually resetting. I will also add that there's generally a day or two we actually do let them play together during quiet time. But that's an exception to the rule because independent play is important. Plus, we're currently homeschooling. So they're literally together all day long and have many opportunities to play with each other. Then once quiet time is done, we have a big cleanup time. We call it clean time before screen time, and then they get 20 to 30 minutes of screen time. So the actual independent playing part of quiet time is somewhere between 45 and 60 minutes. Okay, now let's talk logistics of quiet time. First, when should quiet time happen? Because toddlers and kids thrive on routine, I recommend picking a general time of day and trying your best to stick to it. When we first started, we set Olivia's quiet time for when her nap used to be, so right after lunch. There were some days I tried pushing her quiet time a bit later to match up with Avery's afternoon nap, but those quiet times often had some sort of fight in them, and then she would simply cry, I'm so tired. So we quickly learned it was best for everyone to just do it right after lunch, and Avery was soon taking just one nap right after lunch anyway, so it was a win-win. Even now, as Olivia and Avery are four and six, quiet time happens sometime after lunch. I still try to have some overlap with our youngest's nap, and she's still currently on two naps, meaning quiet time is a bit later. But sometimes we all clearly need it sooner, so I just kind of hang out with Isla during their quiet time. Once Isla is on a one-nap schedule, it will all be at the same time right after lunch. But in general, especially when you're first starting quiet time, having a predictable time of day when it happens is a helpful routine for everyone. Speaking of routine, just like we have nap and bedtime routines, I recommend establishing a quiet time routine. And I have to give a shout out to two and a half year old Olivia because this was totally her idea. The first few days of implementing her quiet time, our routine would simply be to go to the bathroom, get her water, then lay out her activities. Ta-da. But one day she was having a really tough time with me leaving and said, I just need snuggles. Can we read a book? Duh, of course. Why didn't I think of that? So we started reading before quiet time and then we'd give a big hug and smooch. It was like one last sweet time of connection and snuggles before expecting her to play on her own. And now to this day, four years later, we still read a book before quiet time. Usually two books, actually, because now both girls get to choose one. So now your toddler is done napping. You're switching it out for quiet time. You're making quiet time a routine. But how do we actually make this happen? Well, I mentioned at the beginning that Olivia was not an independent player when we first introduced quiet time. So whether your toddler is like her or not, I'm now going to walk you through the how. The short of it is start small and slow. Your end goal might be 45 or 60 minutes but you cannot jump right there. You'll just be setting yourself up for frustration. So certainly have an end goal, but start with a reasonable and attainable amount of time and work your way up. This comes straight from my teaching days. I mostly taught first and second grade and we had a silent reading time every day. The goal is about 20 minutes, but you cannot expect a group of 25 six-year-olds to read to themselves for 20 minutes on the first day of school not going to happen. We had to build up their stamina and make sure we were only letting them practice the right way. If we started off expecting a 20-minute silent reading time, we'd spend the entire 20 minutes reminding this one to be quiet, this one to stop moving chair to chair, this one to actually look at a book rather than out the window. It'd be 20 minutes of whack-a-mole. And guess what? We'd basically be establishing a routine of Silent reading means I tell you to read silently, but you don't really. So I spend the time telling you to silently read. Instead, we start small. We talk about what silent reading should look like. We talk about what it shouldn't look like. We celebrate big when we make progress. We chart it. And the moment a student starts not silently reading, we stop the whole group and try again the next day. It's like we're building a muscle and very slowly working up to the end goal. It's the same with quiet time. If you put your three-year-old in their bedroom, set a timer for 45 minutes and say, see you later, good luck. They will come out of the room, say they don't want to play, and you'll spend those 45 minutes telling them they should be playing independently, and they're saying no. So what's happening? Quiet time now means mom and dad say, play by yourself. I don't want to, and we duke it out the whole time. That's not quiet time. And it sounds so frustrating and exhausting. So don't do that. When we started with Olivia, our end goal was an hour, but we literally started with seven minutes and slowly inched our way up. Seven minutes. Yep, that meant I really didn't get a quiet time that day or really that month, but it was so worth it for the long haul. Once she understood how the timer worked and got comfortable with the process, We were able to start jumping up in bigger increments but we had to practice the right way first i don't remember exactly what it looked like but it was probably seven to ten minutes for a solid week or so and once she was consistently doing well there maybe we jumped to 12 or 15 minutes for another week built up that muscle then 20 maybe 25 30 40 50 and finally 60. all that to say it took time And that time was so worth it to build up that muscle of independent play and to only practice in the way we expected her to do it. I think we started closer to 10 minutes with Avery and were able to jump up more quickly as she was much more of an independent player at that point. So use what you know about your child and go from there. Before I move on, I have to tell you about my favorite quiet time timer. I'll link it in the show notes below, but it's called the time timer and it's the best. It looks like a clock, but it has zero to 60 on it. And when you set the timer, it shows that much red on the clock. But every minute that goes by, that red slowly starts getting smaller. So without understanding the full concept of time, your toddler can see the red getting smaller so they know time is passing and quiet time is almost over. You can set it to ding at the end, but that almost always caught Olivia really off guard and scared her. So we switched the noise off. But to this day, some quiet times, the girls check the clock regularly, and other times they totally blow past the time because they're deep into play. And to be honest, we often forget to set it at this point because quiet time is just what we do, but we needed it when we first started. I know some people use something like the hatch rest for quiet time and use the colored light system. If that works for your family, great. I do find it's tougher for younger kids, however, because there's not that sense of when the light will actually change colors. So check out the time timer. Highly, highly recommend it. Okay, so we have the best timer ever. We have the when of quiet time. We have the why. We have part of the how, except what if your perfect little angel of a toddler doesn't want to do quiet time or comes out of the room? just as we sometimes need to establish bedtime rules with our big kids it's important that your child knows their quiet time rules so quite simply olivia's rules were to stay in her room and play independently and yes we used the word independently i am all about teaching kids those big words but a rule isn't a rule unless it's enforced and we can do so with rewards and consequences so if your child leaves quiet time because they just don't want to do it always walk them back to their room and remind them of the rules. In the beginning, especially if Olivia was hesitating, I'd remind her of the rules and tell her if she stays in her room and plays independently, I'll come check on her. Hello, natural reward. That anticipation alone almost always encouraged her to follow through, and it was easy for me to take a minute to go check on her and encourage her. Similar to when we potty trained, we also rewarded our girls with a vitamin gummy bear when they stayed in their room the whole time. So if they came out and were pushing boundaries a bit, we'd remind them that if they came out again, they wouldn't get that gummy. And that almost always did the trick. I do remember a few times we had to end quiet time early because they just kept coming out and they did not get that gummy and they were definitely not happy about it, which meant we were working with the right currency there. But within three, maybe four weeks, they forgot about the treats because we were now in routine and they mostly looked forward to the big hug we gave them and hearing, I'm so proud of you, natural reward. I know some people who use screen time as the natural reward or consequence for quiet time. So when their little one has a great quiet time, they get screen time after. Or if they come out lots and need reminders, they don't get screen time. We've never used screen time as that reward because I still want that time to get things done, especially if my other kiddo is still sleeping. Or maybe if your little one leaves their room, you walk them back with a reminder and they leave again, you could hold the door closed for a minute and then again remind them of the rules. We simply want our kiddos to know what's expected of them in quiet time and we want to have some sort of system in place so they actually follow through. So instead of quiet time always being a fight, You start slow, lay those boundaries down, and only practice the right way so eventually it's a long, beautiful, and consistent quiet time. Now, the big question is, what in the world should my child do during quiet time? What toys or activities are best? When we first established Quiet Time for Olivia, my vision was that I'd have a quiet time basket with a few activities in it, and I'd rotate those activities out every few days or every week. But two months into quiet time, my creature of habit toddler was quite happy with the same activities she started with. And when I tried to change out even a puzzle, she was not having it. So she had the same basket every single day and loved it. I tried choosing activities that she could use independently and they were open-ended in use, so the possibilities were endless. Her basket included magnet tiles, a jumbo coloring pad and coloring pencils, a baby doll, a few peg puzzles, Lots of books, a lacing activity, and dominoes. Oh, I can picture her sweet little self lining up all the colored pencils by color and trying to count them. She'd create a pathway of magnetiles, then use the magnetile bin as a bed for her baby. She'd stack her books, read her books, and she was often so excited when quiet time was over because she wanted to show us what she'd been working on. Talk about the importance of independent play. That's a whole other topic for another day, but man, it was so cool to see her finally step into that. Now, if you choose to create a quiet time basket, maybe even those are toys that they only get to use during quiet time to add some extra incentive, make sure they can use them all independently and safely. You don't have to open anything, help hold something, or be terrified of them destroying things. There was no way I was going to give my almost three-year-old markers when I wasn't there. I wasn't about to give her Play-Doh because one, she can't open the containers on her own and two, Play-Doh in the carpet? No, thank you. Once Olivia started to have quiet time in our living room and now to this day, as the girls go back and forth between their bedroom and our living room, they have access to any and all toys. But the girls know it's quiet and independent time. So anything they might need help with, we ideally open before quiet time starts. So some other quiet time activities that would be independent and our girls still love to this day include a play kitchen, Legos, cars, trains, train tracks, animals, a dollhouse, maybe Barbies, I spy books. I've linked a few of our favorites in the show notes below, but if you click the link to this transcripted blog, I have all the other activities and toys linked. And now two final tips. If a daily quiet time is your norm and you go on vacation or you're visiting family for a few days, consider having some sort of quiet time. I remember going to the Outer Banks and we made sure one of Avery's naps was at our vacation house whenever possible. So most days we set Olivia up with a quiet time while we were there, both to keep the consistency and routine of quiet time, but also for her to get that physical reset. When we can't do an official quiet time while we're away or it just feels silly wherever we are, we try to still give our girls 20 to 30 minutes of screen time to just get that reset, especially when we've been doing extra fun adventures or if we're around lots of people, that midday downtime is helpful for everyone. Similarly, if your little one is at daycare or school every day and quiet time is not the norm there, but you want it to be the norm on the weekends, give it a try. It will likely take longer to implement or feel like you really have a norm, but it's still very worth it for both you and your child. To wrap this up, our quiet time journey started because my not-yet-three-year-old needed to drop her nap, and this mama was not ready for that midday rest to be gone. We started small, just seven minutes. But eight weeks later, that little girl who used to hate being in a room by herself, let alone play by herself was up to a 50-minute quiet time. And now fast forward to almost four years later, that sweet girl not only enjoys but needs that quiet time. That little introvert thrives with solo time and refills her energy cup by playing by herself. And while our extroverted four-year-old would much rather keep playing with others all day long or crawl all over mom and dad, that practice of independent play is so good for her because she simply wouldn't do it on her own otherwise. Not to mention this mama needs it. Now for the plan and the grace. The plan is saying goodbye to nap time is tough, but remember, you can replace it with a quiet time and do it slowly, sometimes minute by minute and practice the right way. The grace, it's not always going to be perfect and some days it might feel like a fight, but it is so worth it. I remember hearing someone at church say that she was one of eight and their family had quiet time forever. And when she went off to college, she was shocked that no one else had quiet time during the day. I kind of want to follow in that same pattern. The other grace here is if you don't establish a quiet time with your kiddo or only have screen time, that's okay too. The point here is to do what's best for your child and your family, and that will look a little different for everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you know someone whose toddler is close to dropping their nap and is terrified to do so because what now? Or maybe they're trying to establish a quiet time, but something just isn't working. Please send them this podcast to encourage them. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to All It Takes is a Plan so you don't miss the weekly episodes.